Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 1 this morning. John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. And if you're able, will you stand with me as I read the word of God? Gracious Lord, come upon us with your Holy Spirit, that we might have understanding of your word, not just the words before us, but what it means and how we are to order our lives because of it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I've said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifest to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Straightforward, plain, very obvious as to what it means. There is the Lamb of God. There is the one who takes away the sin of the world. Now John the Baptist understood this because the Lord had told him, the one who you see the dove descend upon, that's going to be the one. And he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John was just there to baptize with water. He was a voice crying out, saying, I'm not the Christ, this is the Christ. Prepare the way for he's coming. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. All of these things. And and we look around the world and, and we think, well, maybe we are here in this room because we believe these things. We have come to this place to worship our Heavenly Father because we know this. Because Christ has has made himself real to us, our hearts have been changed, we understand that this is the truth. He is the Lamb of God. We look around the world, and, you know, Huntsville is, uh, I I don't know what, uh, Madison County's 250,000, 300,000 bodies. Uh, Aren't we, it is Huntsville now the third largest city in in Alabama? Poor Mobile. Left him in the dust, right? Um, Why isn't every buddy a believer why isn't it clear for everybody why isn't it just as plain and has been revealed to everybody as it has been to us now I <clears throat> I can remember before I was a Christian and and uh, I thought yeah I, I knew in my head that those things yeah they were probably true but it didn't impact my heart and I look back and I said well, why didn't I believe at those that time why was it not until such and such day, in such and such month, in such and such year, at such and such a moment, that the Lord opened my eyes to that? 
Okay, and maybe you can look back and say, before this moment, I did not believe, I did not understand, and after this moment, it was made so clear to me that I look back and I wonder, how could I have been so stupid as to not see it? It's so plain. It's so plain. Why doesn't everybody see these things? If it's clear to us, if the peace that passes all understanding is so real to us, if the saving grace of Jesus Christ has so changed our lives, then why isn't everybody's life changed? Why doesn't everybody understand it and see it? Now, I'm pretty reformed in my theology, and I would hope that you would expect that from a Presbyterian pastor, that he would be reformed in his theology. And some of you might be going, what, what's, what's that mean? Well, let me give you the thumbnail sketch of what that means as to why I say that. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God chooses those he will save before the foundations of the earth were laid. I believe he has a definite plan for each of us. I believe that he orders this world for the good of those who believe who are called according to his purposes. I believe that we have a responsibility as ones who have received saving grace to declare the same to those around us. I believe that I have to demonstrate this saving grace in acts of kindness and mercy and compassion and caring to those around me. If I do these things, then I believe that God in his sovereign and perfect plan will use me as his instrument to convey the saving grace of Jesus Christ and people will believe. How many will do this? I don't know. Now, we know that the truly elect will believe, those who God has chosen before the foundations of the earth. How do I know who they are? I must assume that everybody is that way, that I must share the gospel with everybody, and that if at any moment that if I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, we know that they have the potential to believe if God moves in their hearts and opens their eyes. Back to the question for today, though. Why doesn't everybody believe? Why doesn't everybody believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Well, the short answer as to why everybody doesn't believe in Christ is this. Not everybody has their eyes open to the truth. They are blind to what is true. Now, what blinds them to the truth? I'm going to give you some examples of what blinds people to the truth so that we can kind of come to grips with this. So the starting place is here in the, in the first chapter of John when John says, Behold the Lamb. There is the Christ. And he points to them. It's obvious. Why doesn't everybody see that? Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I have three reasons, and it's only three. Now, we could probably go on quite some time as to reasons why people do not believe in Jesus Christ. Three is the classic sermon number, okay? It's Trinitarian. You pick three, three points, it's all good, all right? Three items as to why people do not believe in Jesus Christ. What is so plain and so clear to us is not seen by everyone. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now remember, this is Paul's last, and to some extent, last will and testament. This is the last book that he writes in the New Testament, uh, 64, 65. This is to Timothy, his beloved son, the one that he uh, led to Christ, the one that he discipled, the one that he went in ministry with, and he loves Tim Timothy like his own son, and he is giving him some final words of wisdom 
before Paul knows that he's, his life is going to be ended pretty shortly as he's uh, held in prison in Rome. And, and so he's giving these words to Timothy, uh, both as an encouragement and as, as a warning to prepare him. 2 Timothy chapter 3, in the first couple of verses here in this chapter. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. The last days... <coughs> those days between the ascension of Christ and his second return, okay? That's a pretty long, indefinite period of time. But those categorize the last days, from his ascension until his second coming. It is during that time difficult days will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, disobedient to parents. You got that? That's a bad thing. I got the finger out. That's a bad thing. They will be disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, and avoid such men as these. The first reason why people don't understand the things of Christ, they don't believe, is that they are controlled by sin. They're controlled by sin. Now, here is a simple and straightforward uh, summarization of some of these things. Many in our world today are controlled by sin. And as you have read through this list, we see all these kind of people. Uh, perhaps some of us were, were these things in our past uh, until the, the love of Christ has come upon us and changed us uh, and, and moved us on to the, the things of grace. Perhaps some of us still struggle with these as, as we try to move away from them, yet they call our name and try to pull us back. But the, the interesting one that, that I want to look at today, uh, just briefly, is this last one in verse 5 holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Holding to a form of godliness. What this is, is pointing to the fact that within the church, there will be those who hold to a form of godliness, that they look so godly, but it is only a form to them. They're not true believers. They look like a duck, they smell like a duck, they quack like a duck, but they're not a duck, okay? They have a form of godliness, and they have gotten so good at living out a form, but it has no real change within their heart. It's almost as if they have been vaccinated or inoculated with enough gospel, in the sense if this was possible, that they have on the outside an appearance of holiness and godliness, but inside they really don't believe. They go through the motions and they think that those motions are simply enough to get them into the kingdom. Now, you would expect that those whose hearts are consumed by pride and self and arrogance and ungratefulness and hatred and brutality and treacherousness and pleasure and conceit to have hearts that are hardened to the gospel. But those who have a form of godliness, those who hear the gospel on a regular basis, their hearts are just as hardened to the gospel. But they have been, in a sense, inoculated with just enough. But their lives and their hearts and all that they are are still controlled by sin. There's been no real change, no real transformation in their lives. Their God is still the God of this world. They hate the light because they love the darkness. 
John will talk a lot about that in the coming chapters of his gospel. To them, godliness seems to have some enticement. It has some appeal, but they love the darkness too much. They simply love sin, and they don't want to let go of it. So when the gospel comes, their mind is taken from what is right and what is true, the light of the gospel of Christ, and they look to the things of the world and the things of sin, and their heart just longs after the darkness. It's not that they don't like the light, but they love the darkness. It is so good. Those sins are so good to them that they cannot turn them loose. So the first one is people simply love sin. That's why their eyes are closed to the things of the gospel. The second one, 2 Timothy chapter 4, just uh, the other side of the page. People love what is not true. People love what is not true. Verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. Now when Paul talks about itching ears here, he is talking about those who have a fascination with everything, <coughs> excuse me, with everything except with what is true. They have a fascination with everything except for what is true. They don't particularly like what is true. They don't want to hear what is true. They would rather hear the salacious gossip. They would rather spend their time dealing with these, the crucial topics of a young starlet's addiction to shoplifting or a leading man's uh, problems of, of uh, his own household or whatever it is. They much rather hear about those things than the things that really matter, the things that are really true and important. I mean, let's buy some magazines that, that tell how egregious an error that starlet made by wearing brown shoes with a red dress. Okay? <coughs> now, there might be a time to talk about those things, but the person who wants their ears tickled loves those things. They love them. They love to hear the gossip. They love to hear those things. And when it comes to the things that are true, they're just not interested. Why? Because they love what is not true, what is, what is not important. They're willing to spend endless times discussing those, but the things of the truth they don't want to spend any time on because they love to have their ears tickled. It's an enticement. Okay, when they have the opportunity to hear what is true and what is right and what is just, their ears are closed to it. It's not so much in this instance that they love the darkness, they just think the light is unimportant. Those things which are true are simply not important. Okay, they love what is true. They are fascinated with everything except the truth. Now let's turn to the Second Corinthians chapter 4 for our third one. <coughs> and I know today if you're working off the, the outline that, that we put in every time, it, it, I, I blew out the outline because I looked and saw what time it was and said, well, I just can't spend all that time. So you're, you're excused from some of the questions that I didn't cover. Mm -hmm. Unless you're really smart and can figure them out. Mm -hmm. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Now this is an earlier letter, okay? Second Timothy is late, Second Corinthians is early, probably in the 50s, okay? So this is 10 or 15 years earlier than what he was writing before. 
The third reason why people do not believe is that they are blinded by the God of this world. They are blinded by the God of this world. Chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. <coughs> if our gospel is veiled, if people cannot understand it, if they cannot comprehend it, it is not the fault of the message. It is not necessarily the fault of the messenger. The problem is that it is veiled to those who are perishing. It is a condition of their heart. It is a condition of their heart. The hindrance is not the preacher, although we can be a hindrance. Okay, we can cloud the gospel. We can be fuzzy and not clear. But it's not that we need better methodology. It's not that we need better techniques to, to make the gospel more interesting. It is the condition of the hearer's heart. Sometimes the God of this world has simply blinded their eyes to the truth. It's not that we're not clever enough. It's not that we don't have enough bells and whistles. We can have all the bells and whistles of the world. And if their eyes are simply blinded by Satan, their eyes are blinded. Okay? The problem is the condition of the people who hear the gospel. It is absolutely essential to any comprehension of our evangelistic efforts to understand that the natural man does not understand the things of God. They cannot. Not until the Holy Spirit comes and opens their eyes will they ever understand it. They may understand parts of it, they may understand things in air, but they will not understand that their lives must be devoted to Christ, that they must receive Christ as their Lord and Savior and confess their sin and turn away from that and follow him. They will not understand that until the Holy Spirit comes and unblinds their eyes from the things of the God of this world. You can't educate them into Christianity. You can't manipulate them into Christianity. You can't rationalize them into Christianity. Although we try to be rational, we try to be informational, but we understand they are blinded by the God of this world. And not until the Spirit opens their eyes will they be able to understand. Now, how does he do this? How does Satan blind their eyes? Does he get into our individual heads and, and mess with our understanding? <coughs> Excuse me. No. He has created a society in which there are simply massive influences of his undertaking, of his plan, of the way that he works. We have all these ideologies, all these thoughts, all these opinions, ideals, hopes, dreams, impulses, aims, goals, views, everything in the world as we know it is under, in a sense, under his permissive control. God gives him permission to run a certain pattern in this world. And we understand that he is at work in this world. Okay, all I have to do is look at uh, Job and uh, the Lord says, you can mess with Job's life, but only this far. He does the same thing in this world. You may impact this world, but only this far. But we understand he is the God of this world. He is the God of this world. Satan has created a system in this age that panders basically to the depravity of our hearts. Okay? This system panders to the depravity of our hearts. What is it that we love? It's out there. Do we love God? Do we want to search him out? Do we want to pursue him? Not in our natural state. We would much rather pursue the things of Satan in our natural state. 
Okay? Sin is much more fun than holiness unless the Lord comes and opens our eyes to holiness. Why is there crime? Why is there hatred? Why is there animosity? Why is there bitterness? Why is there anger, injustice, inequality, all of these things? Because Satan is the god of this age, and he has blinded our eyes to the things of the truth. That's why it is, to some extent, you know, not good use to spend all our eggs in a political change. Because why? Men's hearts are sinful. We should spend our time in an evangelistic change. Now, we are called to live politically and within our culture and influence in that way, but where should our emphasis be? You want to change somebody's life? You change their heart first. And that takes our mouths and our hands and the Holy Spirit to come and to work. Now, we go on quite some time with other reasons as to why the world doesn't see the gospel of Christ. Why is it that it's so plain and straightforward to us but not to everybody else? But even though they love sin, even though they love what is not true, even though their eyes are blinded to the gospel, to the, the God of, by, by the God of this world, the gospel can still penetrate the fog of sin. Remember who we were. Remember how much the fog of sin clouded you before it was drawn back and you could see the things of Christ so plainly and so clearly. The word of God is presented in word and deed. We speak it and we live it out. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells us and empowers us and uses us as an instrument to change the people's lives who hear the gospel of Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That the Lord would use us to proclaim that, that the Spirit would pull back the veil that others would know the same truth that has changed our lives. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, there are those around us that we probably have shared the gospel with before. They've looked at our lives. They said, well, you know, there's something different about you. And I don't know what it is, but, but there's something different. And we've had the opportunity to share because it's Christ in my life. And that has had no impact on their lives. We've probably seen those whose lives have been completely changed in the same fashion that ours was because of the message of Christ. But there are others around us whose, whose hearts seem so hard or simply indifferent or apathetic to this great one wonderful and mighty grace that can come upon their lives, but they don't see it. We've seen just a couple reasons why they don't see it. But help us to understand, Lord, None of these reasons gives us license not to share. None of these reasons is a cause for us to simply pull back and say, well, the Lord's worked in my heart and that's all I can do. I can't change anybody else's. Help us to understand you have placed this treasure within us so that we might declare it, that we might say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's taken away mine. And he will take away yours if you repent and turn from your sin and receive him as your Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would melt the defenses and tear down these things that people love, that as we would make contact with them, 
as we would share in a, in a straightforward and compassionate way the things of Christ and the truth that he is the Lamb of God, that their hearts would be melted. <coughs> that their minds would have understanding. That their ears would no longer love to hear the things that aren't true, but that they would love to hear the things that are, the things of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Our hymn is 476, More Love to Thee, O Christ. Let's stand as we sing 476. Mm -hmm. 